This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This Pint Hall for Breakfast is brought to you by Campos. Open for pickup and delivery the best cheesesteaks in Philadelphia. Today, Chad Durbin joins me again. And we have a special guest, another Louisiana native, Aaron Nola, right here on Pine Tower for breakfast. What up? And welcome to another episode of Pine Tar for breakfast. And let's just do it. I mean, this is this is important deal. Not only do I have Chad Durbin with me, that is World Series champion Chad Durbin, also gray haired now. But we do have the ace and another Louisiana native, Aaron Nola of your Philadelphia Phillies. What's up, fellas? I'm on track. <laughs> I was a 12-year-old all-star, but it's all no. good. You know, it's, it's an honor just to be on your on your show right now. Oh, I feel it. I feel like you, you, you love it. Yeah, me and my flow and my beard. Uh, no, and, and, and I actually was going to start that off. Uh, and I, I don't know how we can incorporate with Derbs because I know he was an all-star pretty much all the way through high school and everything. But, like, 12-year-old all-star to a big league all-star, you know, all that stuff. What's the correlation? Is there any correlation for you, Knowles, when you look back on it, you're going like, man, like I'm the best in my area, always growing up to being the best in Major League Baseball. Like, it, you ever, you ever kind of sit back and go, damn, I should have known this all along. I was this good. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't, re- <laughs> sometimes I don't really think about that, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> You won't think about it till you're our age. And yeah. You'll be like, that really happened to me. Like, that I, was guess awesome. I, I guess when I retire, yeah. yeah. But, yeah I you're mean, staying what, in the moment. You're, you're MJ. Yeah. You're staying in the moment. Oh, man. Well, like, what drives you then? Like, Because it, it's not just so much for you. I, in, in talking to you and knowing you, uh, I've given you right to your face, like, the praise that I've given you has been equated to Doc. It might not be the same stuff. I don't care about stuff, but work ethic and everything. Where did that come from? Shoot, uh, from a few different people. Uh, one, my brother. Grew up pretty much watching him. Went to a lot of his games. Um, had a call last night. Uh, I talked about it. Grew up watching a lot of his high school games. Went to a lot of his almost every single home game at LSU just sat in the stands and watched and tried to learn from him and other guys on that, on, on that team. Cause you could see the different personalities on that team, the different work ethics, how they handle themselves on the field when, when they fail, when they succeed. And I just kind of tried to incorporate that into my game. And then Austin 
and I living together at home in the off seasons, we work out together. So he would always push me and he would kind of set the standard for, uh, weightlifting, running and all that jazz. And then when he moved to being a catcher, it was even better. Uh, actually to start off, I actually didn't like it that he, he said he was going to be a catcher because I was kind of, I was kind of pissed off because I knew how good of a shortstop he is. I know how good of a shortstop he is and infielder. And it was kind of hard for me to take in that he wanted to catch and the best position for him to move up to the big leagues was to catch. But to turn out, it was actually one of the best decisions because it actually helped me out too, because <laughs> during the off seasons we would throw and I would have a personal catcher to throw with every time I threw. And not only a personal catcher, a big league catcher, like a, a professional catcher, catcher, like someone that, you know, you're not like trying to throw and being like, Ooh, this guy's getting scared. This guy, like he was just spotting up. It's just normal stuff. Like Derb's like, personal. how, how, like when you go back on your, your off season and stuff, and, and I don't know if you had the big league catchers or anything going on, but like, how important is that? You know, like what, what Knowles has in, in Austin. I mean, like, did you have anything like that? Uh, yeah, I didn't have, you know, a, a brother that I looked up to like that, that was uh, so accomplished and such a, he's, you know, Austin's a really good human being. Like, yeah, he's all right. yeah, he's, all all right. he's, he's pretty solid. And so is Aaron. I think you know, going back on, on watching and following Aaron from, uh, from a couple steps away, um, he was always a year younger than the grade he was in. You know, is that right, Aaron? That's great, uh, yeah. He, he was one of the youngest kids in, in the class, so he always mm-hmm. had to play against kids that were 15, 20 pounds, maybe bigger than him. Uh, they were older than him. They were shaven before him. Um, and and the one, one thing that I've heard that coaches, you know, their, some of their frustration with him was that he just wouldn't stop throwing the ball over the plate. Like, I'm just going to pound the zone and pound the zone and pound the zone. Well, it's, it's literally what he does now to big leaders, and it's still working. So, you know, that's something anybody listening that has a kid or if the kids listen, listening, a coach – and a manager loves guys that throw the ball over the plate, don't walk guys, can't defend the walk, that type of thing. Well, he obviously bought into that early. And some of that is probably having the older brother, watching him play at LSU. And then when he's a catcher later on, I'm sure the verbiage is, man, you know, just hit my mitt. Like, be aggressive. Like, you know, how do we want to shape this breaking ball? So this ecosystem in Baton Rouge, there's a ton of pro guys. So whether they're LSU guys, I know, hey, man, Franny, they don't want to give you more. Hate on it if you want. But there's so many guys down here. In, in, in 96 is when I was drafted. You had all the guys that were coming out of college at LSU and in, in, in the area. And you also had Ben Sheets and Kurt Ains with all these guys that were in college. And they would, you know, so 99, 2000, 2001, everybody was working out at the LSU indoor and throwing. So it'd be like 20 guys long tossing on a football field. And then going and lifting and doing that. So you had a lot of guys – you could see who was working hard. You could see who was kind of sitting on it. Um, and the guys that worked hard are the ones that you want to gravitate towards. Um, we didn't have the same conversations I'm sure Aaron gets to have with his brother, who's thinking like a big league catcher, not only a big league catcher, but a big league catcher who's trying to catch up, hadn't caught all his life. Well, that was going to so, be, that was going to be a question. The that was going to be a question because I mean, like for, for Knowles, like you pound the zone, you live at the knees, right? But we're teaching guys now to pitch and elevate up, right? And, and, and I'm, I'm not talking about anything for you, but for Austin, right? We're, when he's learning the position, that's the 
like it's kind of weird you're you're, you're teaching a, a catcher really not to live down in the zone early on and setting you know targets it's setting targets high was that was that something weird for him like because he caught you for you know however long and, and now he's having to adjust to, to raise his sights yeah uh, he, he said it definitely was weird but he's so athletic as, as you know he plays he can play so many different positions it's not that hard for him to adjust to that and he's adjusted to it because uh when he was living with me last uh this past off season i saw that when i was throwing throwing to him and uh we saw it in the the games he got to catch when he was with seattle so he commented constantly works on that stuff and he's i mean he's gonna be all right yeah. with it but i think i think eventually the game is gonna change back to the old school way of you know throw the ball down throw it up when you need to rather than just living up. I mean, yeah, you got so many guys that throw really hard now, 95 to 100 consistently. But, I mean, you know, the – you know, I mean, both of you all know, the, the big league hitters can – they can catch up to 120 if they see it enough times in an A-B. So, Not I think it, it, it's going <laughs> to – the only thing – the things that still stay the same is changing the speeds. That's always going to be the same. Yeah, moving front – Front to back. back. Everyone talks about up and down, but front to back is something that it, it it doesn't get talked about as much. And if you're training to go at 95 at the top of the zone as a hitter, you know, and we're training guys to throw there, eventually some th- something that is hard to hit on a tee, which is low and away, is yeah. always going to be tough to hit. 90, 90 down and away at the knees is tough to hit on a tee, let alone 90 miles an hour. So, He's right yeah. about that. I totally agree with it. It's a, uh, you know, pitch up for for effect, move eye eyeballs. But you know, when you ball up a, a you know paper towel and you play that game where you throw it at your buddy sitting next to you, if you ball it up soft and it's shorter, it's hard to catch. So it's gonna be hard to hit. And I like that he's sticking to it. That's his game. There's I don't know you know I don't know if he gets metric, but it looks like he's longer than most guys his height. It looks like he gets more extension out in front, which is going to more deception to the ball. I mean, they've got all that stuff on, on track man and stat cast and all that, but the perceived velocity when he throws it is harder than it is for other guys that have normal arm lengths like me. Um, so I had to make the ball move and, and do some other stuff. So it, it's knowing who you are. I feel like, and, and maybe you can you know talk about this, Aaron, is you, I feel like you knew yourself earlier than most kids. Um, and maybe it's the way that you raised such a great family, you know, your brother, being around guys that were older, but you just felt like you knew who you were earlier than most guys. Yeah, I knew who I was. I knew coming up, I didn't throw the hardest, but I knew I can spot the ball. I knew I had accuracy from when, from a young age. And it's funny, actually, when my, my freshman year, when I got into college, uh, luckily I had Alan Dunn over there my first year. Hmm. Helped me out a lot. Going into – I think it was the fall of my sophomore year in 2013. Uh, we had to work on my bullpens to throw the ball outside off the plate a little more <laughs> because I was throwing too many, like, 0-2 pitches, fastballs away, trying to freeze. I was throwing it too much over the plate, like, for strikes. And so we had to work on getting the ball out like a foot. Yeah, because in college you get, like – it's not a 17-inch plate. It's like a 30-inch plate anyways. So. <laughs> Yeah, colleges, yeah, for sure. And then, uh, you know, 
as you know, the, the the more you go up in the minor leagues, and then once you get to the big leagues, the strike zone is so small, and uh, you got to be pinpoint. So, but going back to your question of what drives me, what drives that um, to to try to be the best that I can in my craft, and yeah. then try to perfect that in whatever I do. Throwing on the, I talked to Durbin a couple of years ago about why he had that year he did so good, and he said because he took every throw on the field. Um, I think you were with Lidge, right, Derb? That was my throwing partner, yep. That was your throwing partner. He, he took every throw seriously out on the field, and that helped him. And I do that. Every, ever since I talked to him, I do it every single time I go out and throw because you create good habits out there on the field, and that's going to correlate to the mound. If you're creating bad habits when you're just throwing on the field, then you got to try to lock it in on the mound and trying to figure out that muscle memory again to try to get your release point to where it is rather than, oh, I've done this. I do it every single day on the field. I know where my release point is and I'm focused. So that's kind of what drives me to try to perfect all that. So, I mean, it's not ever going to be perfected, but to try to, it's, it's important. No, for sure. And, and it's a good lesson because, I mean, look, we all adjust, have to make adjustments and everything, right? I mean, that's a, that's a huge deal. June 15th last year in Atlanta, uh, and this is what the same day that Austin's making his, uh, his major league debut, but you're in Atlanta, you start, you, you yeah. have a struggle, right? I mean, uh-huh. walks and, and, and just being not your normal self. You had a conversation with yourself and I, I feel like you, you kind of went back to the drawing board. What was the biggest adjustment you made after that? I was trying to, well, first, I, I kind of told myself that you know, I wasn't getting the results. Like, I felt like I wasn't I wasn't pitching that bad, but I just wasn't getting results. I would get balls hit through the hole, score some runs, ground balls, um, you know, through holes. And maybe in 18 or previous years, I get those ground balls hit right to guys. Mm-hmm. So we can't – as a pitcher, we can't really control – that part of the game. So I just kept believing in myself that it's going to turn around to believe in a God that he's going to turn around because the results are going to come. If I keep doing what I'm doing, staying on my workout routine, my running routine, my bullpen routine, staying focused, throwing on the field, um, uh, after, after or before bad practice that the results are going to come and they ended up coming. Oh yeah. You know, it didn't turn, it didn't turn around right away, but, and I didn't have good games right after that throughout the whole year. I had I had other bad games, but for the most part, I, you know, I found myself pitching back into the seventh inning, uh, the eighth inning, and getting those balls that were getting hit to the shortstop, third baseman. Uh, sometimes they were line drives, hit straight at guys, but that's the beauty of the game. And sometimes you need that to get out of jams, even if the ball's hit 120 miles an hour right at the second baseman. No doubt. Like a little bit of it was, and this is remember I, I going from upstairs and, and watching this whole thing, and I talk to you all the time, but it was almost like you were able to adjust quicker, like on the fly. Would that yeah. be a little bit more accurate? Like you were able to identify what was going on. You're like, okay, got it. Like it's not anything other than like, look, maybe I got to get on top of it a little bit more. Maybe I got to be more a little bit, a little bit more down the zone, a little bit, you know, out in front with the release on the curveball, a little bit more. Uh, but it was like you were able to reel it in a lot faster. And, and it, I don't know, 
I don't like watching guys struggle ever, but it was kind of fun to watch how you would like maneuver yeah. your way through a, a start at times, and that's what an ace well, does. Yeah, well, because I know I know who I am, and I know what I'm capable of doing, or what I need to work on always. And going through them struggles for, I guess, two months, two and a half months, to begin the season, I narrowed it down to like I'm athletic enough to I can do different things in my delivery. So it's not my delivery that's messing everything up. So I narrowed it down to the results. Execution. Like I'm going to stick with my my same delivery. I'm obviously not changing my arm angle because I've never done that before <laughs> in my life. So just keep trying to get ahead. You get ahead of guys, stay ahead of guys, and the results will come. And then they ended up coming. Well, And both of you guys are emotional. And I, and I, Go ahead. And I, I kept telling myself day in after day is that I'm going to throw 200 innings because I was behind the eight ball at the beginning of the year. Like I was throwing four innings, like four innings, five innings, maybe six was a good a good game. And I was like, I'm going to throw 200 innings again. I'm going to do it. Just keep keep working, keep pushing. And I, I'm throwing like 202, I think. That's awesome. A big deal. Um, do you attest – I know how hard you work or, or you know – you know, a lot of people know how hard you work, but some of that, uh, it starts in, you know, at a young age and it builds through, you have, um, you, you work your butt off in the gym. You have, uh, guys in your life that, um, and I don't know if you want to mention his name or anything, but, um, you know, Jay is one of those guys that pushes you to be better in the gym and in life and, and in baseball. And, you know, I feel like when, when I struggled in baseball, sometimes I would, I would make sure I finished every sprint with everything I got. I make sure that I, my lift, I didn't skip a rep. And, and it felt like when I completed those tasks, I felt more prepared. And is that something that you feel, you know, your five day routine, you talked about routine earlier, made me immediately think about all the people that you work with in a season, in the off season and, and how that routine is built. And it doesn't all happen. You, know, you continue to add and subtract things that work for you as you get older. Um, you know, talk about your routine during, you know, during the season, during the off season and the people that uh, play roles there. Yeah. So during the season, I used to be super routine oriented, like strict to the book. If I didn't finish this or do this, I wasn't going to throw strikes in the game, which is really crazy to think about <laughs> no, I was because that's you. not how the game works. So it changed around for me after that one in 2018 when uh, Jake Arrieta came to the club. I'll talk to him about his routine and what he did in between starts. And he was like, oh, I just, you know, I run or bike, get a flush out after the game. And uh, I kind of just see how I'm feeling. Like I'll subtract things. I won't, sometimes I'll take this day off. I'll just throw or I won't throw uh, just to see how I feel. And I started, um, changing my routine up in that area like I didn't I didn't go in the weight room and you know try to bust out everything until I was tired I busted out I got with our strength coach Paul and uh, (laughs) and I asked him what we what we did and I did it I started doing it quick like middle middle to late in the year I started to try to you know, do things quick and try to fire my muscles into like fast twitch 
get my muscles more in a fast twitch mode and to try to keep my endurance up and then i'll, I'll get on my run and but then i would recover a lot so i would get in the, i would get in the hot cold tubs uh, almost every day and then uh, hit the sauna up so i would take days off for sure i stopped throwing every day uh some days i would throw day after my games most days i wouldn't um, sometimes I would throw, I would just throw my bullpen day and then the day before I fish in the game. Um, so I got used to that and, uh, I got used to my muscles being loose mm-hmm. rather than if I didn't do this workout, yeah. I wasn't going to throw strikes ball game. I got focused on, you know, if my muscles and body isn't loose, then I'm probably not going to be as good in the game on that fifth day as I, I would where I'm you know, consistently loose as in recovering all time. Dude, I love the sauna. I would go in in uh, like the fifth or no, it was like the fourth inning. I would sit in the sauna full union stretch and I get like a normal, like just sweat going on and then go hit and then go pinch hit. It would be like, I felt like I was playing in a game. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but Derby, you know, you know how it is when you work out, you, sometimes you work out two days before you pitch, you start and you're like sore still. Yeah. Uh, I don't like that. I don't like that. You know, I didn't mind like, it a little I'll, bit in my lower tank. I never wanted to be sore in my upper tank. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no. But if it's sometimes when I felt sore in my lower body, I felt kind of heavy yeah. sometimes. Yeah. But was there especially, a like, especially like really out? hot outside? Go, go ahead. Uh, was there, was there an that? age you figured that out? Derbs is that you didn't like it up top more than down. You know what I mean? Like just in general, probably, uh, seven, eight hundred innings in because I started for the first nine years of my yeah. career. That somewhere between when you're in the minor leagues, 160, 170, and you know, I think I had close to 200 um, in 2001 and then got hurt. Um, and it was it was a workload thing because I was long tossing, my bullpens were 50 plus pitches, it was just too much of a workload. It wasn't mechanics, it wasn't anything like that. So I was consistently all year throwing and running score and doing all that stuff and what i started to realize was taking time off so an injury happened but it took actually jack marucci the marucci namesake he's he's the head trainer for the lsu football team he said chad what happens when you go home what you know i said man i watched the world series and i want to be roger clemens so i started in the gym right away and he said you need to pump the brakes a little more you're getting older and so, yeah, you asked what age, and it was probably at that 26, 27, 28-year-old age range where I'm like, my body's not going to be able to go at that rate, you know, and, and it's not going to be able to go at that rate till I'm 35. Yeah. And I came up with a lot of guys that were sticking needles in their butts. No to way. Keep up, no to way. Keep up with those guys was impossible. No that, way, that right? Is, that is such a – that's a false statement right there. No one was doing that. Right? No one, uh, especially <laughs> not me. So I was trying to keep up with those guys and I didn't know, I mean, I was maybe naive or whatever, but I was working my butt off to try to just maintain what they were doing every year, adding 10 pounds of muscle and never getting tired, being able to maintain that stuff. And so I went at it too hard and Jack told me there's, you know, be aggressive in your rest schedule, you know, and that's what Aaron's talking about is man, listen to your body. If you're, if you need to throw to 60 feet that day, 90 feet, it's just overhand exchange. That's all you're doing that day. And there's some days where I want to get some length out there. I really feel like my scaps and everything are moving good. So it is, it is completely comprehensive. It is, it is individual. Some guys as a reliever, what helped me was I was a slave to my routine in a bad way when I was young. 
as I got older and I relieved as a reliever, you're putting on your cup every day and you're running out there. You need to make sure that your body feels right to go in. If somebody's got guys on second and third and two outs and you got two righties coming up that I'm prepared and physically there. So, you know, lifting and all that, it was very different for me and it just changed the way my mind, you know, worked on that. Yeah. And I believe if you, the, the harder during the season, especially the harder you work out or train or run, the harder you have to recover. Hey, let me recover from that answer real quick. We'll get right back to you. you got a little quick announcement from Campos, and then we'll be right back right here on the Pine Tar for Breakfast podcast. It's game time, and you're heading to Citizens Bank Park to catch your fighting fills, but you want the great taste of a Campos cheesesteak. That's easy. Make sure you visit Campos on Ashburn Alley. Whether you want a traditional cheesesteak or kick it up a notch with their signature sandwich, The Heater, you can get the same award-winning steaks that you'll find at their 214 Market Street location in Old City. For the best cheesesteak in Philly, visit Campos and Ashburn Alley. Campos at 214 Market Street and CamposDeli.com. Philadelphia's cheesesteak since 1947. Back to the Pie Talk for Breakfast podcast. I am your host at Kevin Franzen on Twitter. Aaron Nola, Chad Durbin are with me, and we continue right here. It, for you, Aaron, is there is there a start that you've had that you're like, man, you got on the man, and you're like, damn, I'm gonna have to get this through because I worked out way too hard. Like you know for a fact, you're like, I overdid it two days ago. Like, is there one? Is there one in particular that you can remember? Uh, I know it's a tough question, but I mean, like, there's those are always fun because you're like physically, I'm not there because I did this to myself, not because I'm doing something extracurricular, but I'm I'm doing I, I overdid it working out, getting ready for the next start. Yeah, I mean, there's some some games I am sore from working out because <laughs> you're like idiot. I'll kind of yeah, I kind of time it bad to where <clears throat> you know I don't contrast that day. Hmm. I work out and then I'm, I rush out to the game, watch the game. I don't contrast. Uh, and then I am kind of sore, um, which is mainly on, on road trips when you fly. So yeah, I yeah, get, yeah. my body gets a little more sore when I, when I fly. You, you Louisiana kids are, you guys are soft. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but okay. So you brought up just something right there. I wasn't going to even ask it, but, um, Something to go along with Doc, go along with a lot of pitchers that uh, I came up with that were older. They watched the game. And I feel like, ah, oh man, where we are with a lot of the younger guys that, that do come up, they may be, you know, just aloof to everything and they don't watch. They just kind of do their own thing. And and I get I get kind of tired of it, not with the pitchers, because that's I don't know the whole routine, but with the position players, like, why aren't you watching everything? I feel like I wanted to get into doing what I do because all I did was watch games. Like if I was on the bench, I'm watching it. Like it's all I cared about. I want to know everything that was going on, watching what all, you know, certain guys do for you, uh, even for Derbs. But I know that Derbs was watching. Like what was it about it for you scouting report wise or just for your mental side of just watching games in between starts? It's humongous. You, you start to learn about guys, the hitters personalities and, and, sometimes what they look for in certain counts and uh, if they get mad when they, you know, pop out yeah. or swing and miss, um, if they swing and miss, are they going to try to really jump on that next pitch and swing harder? So watching the game is to me more beneficial than watching video. I watch a lot of video, but 
the game's going to tell you yeah. everything, yeah. you know, because you're watching it in person, you're watching it in real life. And then um, I would always, when Rick Kranitz was our pitching coach, I'd always uh, sit next to him by our, by our steps right behind the coaches and kind of ask him. I always called him the wizard. <laughs> he, uh, you know, he was that he was that guy who just I felt like he knew everything. He had been in the National League for a long time, and he knew guys like his first and last name. And I would always ask him, hey, what do you got on this guy? And he would tell me, boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, oh, and then I would watch, you know, if I was pitching the last game of the series, I would have information on those those guys, even if I never even faced them before. Pairing that up with video and then talking to Rick, I mean, I was pretty prepared. Derbs, like for you? You know, uh Paul Burton, Jeff Stupon were with me in Kansas City when I was 21, 22 uh, years old. And Paul Bird came from Alberta. He didn't go over his head till, uh, till the spring of 02, actually. Oh. Um, but uh, he said Maddox grabbed him when he was with the Braves and said, I want you to watch every take as much as you watch every swing. The hitters are going to let you know what they're looking for by the way they take a pitch. Hmm. And I had to guess. I mean, it was like I mean, early on, he's telling me, all right, this is Paul O'Neill, this is Derek Jeter, this is Chuck Knobloch. What are they looking for in their takes? And, man, I was I was not on it, man. I was completely overwhelmed. And he said he was too. But over time, you start to learn that when a guy is looking away and you throw it away and he's leaning out over the plate or you go in, you get to see the reaction yeah. on the take. And they're letting you know what side of the plate they've picked or whether they're looking for soft or hard or anything like that. And you start to – it starts to translate into the day you pitch. You'll throw a pitch, and you'll see a guy react, and you're like, I've seen that before. I don't know what he's looking for yet, but I know something just triggered. And then as you get the reps, you know, you get better. So Paul really had a big impact on me. Um, right? I think – I don't think if I – if I don't have my arm surgery, I get to carry that through with him differently. And I kind of had to carry that into the next section of my career uh, without the same mindset. And, and, but it did happen you know, later in my career, I'd see a guy move and, you know, maybe Chooch would see it too. Yeah. And, and he, he'd throw down three in and you're like, that's exactly what we needed to throw right there because of the way he just took that fastball away. Um, he, he wanted to swing at it. It was just, just not where he wanted to hit. And you take you know, that really helped me out with, you know, I watched a lot of film too. I watched a lot of that stuff. I really, um, you know, felt like I could carry that um, into my, my, you know, individual games and approaches um, and all that stuff. But um, yeah, he was a huge impact on that. Well, that's awesome. Cause I, I, I there's certain things that you go with as a hitter, uh, you know, off of pitchers, the tendencies that they have, but you know, you can watch all the film you want, like you guys were saying, but that's interesting to me, like watching facial expressions, like seeing like, Oh, Oh, oh I, that guy was surprised right there. He wasn't yeah. looking for that. Pedro was big on that too. That's that's see that's stuff that, I feel like as a hitter, damn, I sucked at that. I gave away everything. My God. Pedro told me he would, uh, he'd look at the injured reports. He'd look at the way guys ran their sprints before games. He'd look at them, you know, you know, taking their, their, their hacks in between pitches, maybe look if they were favoring a side or, you know, he's like, if, if they can't, if they look like they're coming off an oblique injury, I'm going to challenge them in. Hmm. You know, they're going to have to hit heater not going to give him a break and he was also a guy that if a guy didn't hit his curveball a few pitches in a row he wasn't changing it up he's going but his stuff was electric so he's okay. a game that maybe 
maybe Aaron's more familiar with, but not me. But like if somebody doesn't react well to two, three change-ups in a row, throw it till they hit it. That was his, yeah. you know, that was kind of his approach. And if you need it, especially in a big situation, you know, you throw a change-up two in a row and you're like, oh, this dude does not see my change-up, but we're up six. I'm going to maybe go back to fastball away, but I know what you can't hit now. Yeah. I know what you don't see well. I'm going to put that in the archives and we're going to pull it out bases loaded later on. Um, you know, that's, you know, sitting behind guys, like he said, he sat behind Kranz. You know, you, you, you find guys that are mentors to you and you soak it in. And if the guy doesn't want to be your mentor, screw him next. I'm going to go find guys that are going to make me better. And, and, you know, somebody asked me the other day, I was on a, you know, phenom to the farm podcast. Uh, and he asked me if I were giving myself advice, what would I give myself at 18 or, or 17 years old? What would the advice be? And, and one of them was to be more fearless in game, um, you know, not be scared of contact. When I was young, I was just a little bit. But the other one was to find mentors, find a mentor that's in the game with you, find a mentor in the strength conditioning PT side, and then find a mentor in, in kind of life coach standard um, and, and take those people. And if they don't want to do it, find another one. And if they don't want to do it, find another one. And that to me is the difference between guys that accelerate into the big leagues and, and do well early is they find guys that they can not necessarily lean on in a bad way. I had Ricky Vitalico who was awesome, but I didn't get to spend enough time with him to really pull information from him. And, and he was, he was fun to be around. He's rough on you, but he'd tell you, Hey, you know, today when you got to this hitter, you know, why'd we start him out this way? Or what'd you do here? What are you doing in your you know video sessions? How do you watch video? Learning from those guys was huge to accelerating or, or maybe probably for me for just sticking in the game and being just good enough to stick around for a while. Yeah, you got to have those guys. I mean, you can't do it on your own. Uh, major League's as hard as it is. I mean, I'm, uh, I was asking him some questions, and I called up, and he was like, I'm still learning. I'm like, dang, this dude's, dude's been around a long time, won World Series, and a few no-hitters. He's like, I'm still learning. But that's when I, that's when I came to the conclusion, you never stop learning. There's always something that you've never seen before that happens in a game or or happens to somebody. So that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Okay. So when you learn, I mean, uh, you're constantly learning. You're. It doesn't matter about you, your opponent. You know, the game itself. What about catchers? I mean, you look at it, and you just had JT, who had just a phenomenal year. Uh, you're learning with him. I mean, you've you've had five catchers in your career as far as the big leagues you guys overlap with chooch um you also have uh you know gold glove winners chad durbin has 27 catchers he's thrown to how about that two oops 27 the question i have is how big of an adjustment was it for you know both of you like just throwing in new catchers and getting on the same page and and when it clicks, like, what is the click? What is that What is that moment you have with that catcher? Or is it, I don't care, you just throw down the figures, I trust you, what, what we're going with. I think, I mean, it's definitely tough to throw to a bunch of catchers all the time. Um, I think of, like, Adam Wainwright and, and Molina. Those guys have been together for a long time. And it's just like, myself throwing to my brother in the backyard like he knows me yeah maybe better than i know myself and it's the same thing with like guys like wainwright and molina and 
it's just a uh, it takes it's it's a learning curve for both of you to to know the strengths and weaknesses and strengths and weaknesses of that day. You always have a plan. You always talk about a plan before the game, but sometimes you go out there and ain't nothing working except I don't know a change up <laughs> that day. So you have to mix it up and throw a change up. And uh, you know, he's he's definitely seen that and i've talked to him about that i'm like some some days i won't have much fastball really not spotting it not much life to it curveball is sharp but i don't know where it's going but the change up's good so put it in like six <laughs> changeups in a row so he knows that but it just mm-hmm. takes time it takes time i think and, and durbin would probably tell you I mean, he's thrown for you know some way more catchers <laughs> than i have <laughs> yeah you know, some of the hardest years of my career were um they weren't about my stuff. It was about, um, you know, guys like uh, Victor Martinez and um, Santana with Cleveland later on, twice with Cleveland. You know, those two catchers, those guys are very good hitters. All, you know, Hall of Fame caliber, like, bats. Um, but, at, you know, at catcher, a little more aloof. You had to do a lot of thinking for them. Yeah. And because they're such good hitters and switch hitters, they didn't think the same way as maybe right on right, you know, or left on left for guys. So you had to like your bandwidth out there. You were thinking at such a high level and you're having to shake, 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 shake. And after about five shakes, even though you have confidence in what you're doing, you like, you start to think, well, maybe it's not the right pitch, you know? And then all the homework you do with them before and after um, all the talk and Victor Martino was fantastic, fantastic about that. But Santana was kind of like, and dude, I just want to go bash baseballs. You know, I, I don't really want to work at this. Um, you know, and, and, and it is what it is. I mean, if you were like, dude, you're being mean. That's not who I was. I know he was working at it. It just wasn't easy for him, which made it even tougher on a better yeah. adventure. So the, all along, like when I was young, you had yeah, good catchers. I had Pudge. I had Chooch. I had some really, really good catchers. And that made it was turn the brain off. We're on the same page. I'm confident that they're going to do what they say they're going to do uh, pregame and postgame. So when they put down fingers, I know and I trust. And occasionally I would shake because of my feel. But you're on the same page, man. When, when you haven't thrown a curveball for two innings or three innings and a guy throws down two and you were thinking it at the same time, man, that curveball is going to be perfect. <laughs> when you got to shake, 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 shake. And then now, it, now I'm, I'm a little tighter about it because – there's no fluidity, no continuity yeah. to, to the game. And now it's all feel. Um, and maybe I, I'd like to, um, you know, pivot on that. You know, Aaron's a feel guy and everything today with analytics and, and all the numbers and all that, the, the art of baseball, the feel of baseball is to me, it's, it trumps everything. You know, it, look, the feedback, maybe the analytics tell you, you know, maybe you should eliminate one pitch from your arsenal or add another pitch, and that's great. You would probably do that organically um, through batters, through, through hitters, um, you know, telling you. Or maybe a, a new guy comes in with a really good slider, and you're like, you know what, I'd, uh, how do you grip that? How do you throw that? Um, and then you go try it out, and hitters tell you whether it's good. Well, now you got the analytics that say, yeah, this is an elite pitch, and this is an elite pitch, but what if I don't believe in it? What if I don't feel like that's an elite pitch? Is it an elite pitch now? Um, so, Aaron, I mean, I know you're having a – you're coming you're into the big leagues and playing at a high level, pitching at a high level in the big leagues during this analytics explosion. Um, I know you're not you know, completely off the page with it, but it's not something that's sitting on top. 
It's not on top of oh, your. He's so yeah. dialed in on it. He's so oh, dialed in on the analytics. <laughs> he's, well, such a, he's such a nerd when it comes to the analytics. They're nerds. And, and it may be something you don't want to go deep dive into with us, but um, you know, that's knowing yourself. And, and you know, I'm sure you don't completely ignore it, or maybe it is something that you're all about. But um, you know, I know that I. I I know every guy's different and I know, like I said, you know yourself and you knew yourself before, um, you know, all this analytics was coming at us. So how do you feel? I mean, how do you use it or how do you, you know, not use it and validate not using it? Um, how's that part of your routine? Well, I believe that all that stuff can help, help the game and use it right. But I don't think you can base it, base the game of baseball off analytics because, you know, it came up, I guess, a few years, a few years ago, or several years ago, and the game's been played how it's being played for a long time. And knowing who you are as a pitcher, as a player, uh, has been around forever, and accuracy and commanding the strike zone has been around forever. Conviction, there's if if the catcher puts down. A, a, a two puts it on a curveball. You're like, oh, I could probably throw that curveball for a strike, but you want a fastball. There's something about throwing that fastball, even if it's not the right pitch. Something about throwing it because it's in your mind that I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this pitch with pitch with a lot of conviction, and I'm gonna I'm gonna command it, and I'm gonna throw it hard. Hmm. It might not be the right pitch. Crantz always told me that. You know, maybe it's not the right pitch, but because maybe maybe the right pitch in the situation, you know, there's always gonna be a man. I could have thrown that. The outcome could have been that, but you could also, uh, if you would have thrown that other pitch with conviction, could have got the guy out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you yeah, know. Go ahead. I was gonna say. Well, last year, I mean, like your 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 percentages right on pitches, basically like started to even out. Like you became like a 35 percent on both four-seamer and, and your curveball, right? I mean, it, and it's gradually gone to that, but was that a conscious thing? Was that something? Because if you look at the totality of it, you threw three less curveballs last year than you did the previous year, but you threw more pitches as far as four-seamers the previous year, so your percentages were, you know, 37-30. Like, was it something that you would kind of go into a start with a, a – a set number at, at at points in time during during the season instead of just pitching your strength. I didn't look at numbers once going into the season. Uh, go off the field, like Derb said, my fastball is not feeling great that day. I mean, it might be feeling like I'm throwing it hard, but I'm not commanding it. You know, I'm not going to keep throwing fastballs when I'm not commanding. I'm not going to keep throwing balls with it. Yeah. You know, you. I mean, it's no secret. Hitters could be listening to this right now, but. You're gonna try to you're gonna try to throw something to try to get you back into the count. Try to get you even even in an even count or ahead in the count. You know, that's. I mean, I feel like for pitchers, it's self-explanatory. Don't keep throwing something that you're not commanding over and over and over and over again because you need to. Yeah. You know, I heard always when we were younger, the thing was when when you're up in the game by a lot of runs, maybe like eight runs, feed yep. fastball. I think that's so that's so stupid. What do you think the hitters are looking for fastball? <laughs> They're going to be jumping all over fastballs. But then you'll see hitters 
um, complain about. Oh, bitching about. Like, throw up. me a fastball. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, when you're up ten to nothing, and you're throwing curveballs and changeups, and the guys are swinging and missing, and they're getting pissed. <laughs> I Ar- think that's great like because that. there's. <laughs> I love because that. I love it when they're mad. <laughs> Get them. Yeah, because what it, they're saying, throw me a fastball. What are we gonna do? Why do we want to throw him a fastball in a three-one count? When the guy's in the backyard. really hunting, he wants to hit it to the to Mars. <laughs> throw a changeup and he'll throw his bat to Mars. So I mean, I don't know. I don't believe. I mean, there's you know the quote unquote unwritten rules, but once you get in the big leagues, it's you got to pitch your game. No matter if you're up fifteen to nothing in the first inning, and you hadn't even gone out there yet. You have to pitch your game. You're not going to keep you know feeding the same pitch over and over and over again just because you're up. Because Chad, you know this. You could be doing that, and next thing you know, you're winning 15 to nothing, and then the first thing you give up five. Yeah, you've got to stick to your your, your game plan. Yeah, and you got to stick to your game. Yeah, the script that you put together, um, you know, because I would kind of have a, a – my plan would be, you know, for David Wright or, or Bryce Harper or whatever, and after the first swing or the score of the game, it, 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 I didn't let certain things dictate, but I had a plan going in. And this was going to be the way I was going to get him out that day. And I don't want to jump from that to, um, you know, hey, we're up 7 nothing, and I'm just going to feed middle-middle. And no. that's not going to get me better because now I'll fall into some bad habits. Yeah. And maybe in a close game, <clears throat> it'll it'll backfire on me. And I owe that to the, the pitching staff that's sitting in the dugout, the five starters. I owe that yeah. to the other relievers that I go out and I get the outs that I need to get. Um, I, it goes back to – and I loved it, man. I don't know if you've watched The Last Dance at all, Aaron, but, you know, the Michael Jordan, you know, stuff, his comp- his competitive nature just keeps jumping off the screen at me. And I get that feeling that I got when it was big moments and I just want to compete with guys. It's it's competing with that guy that's in the box holding the bat and the other team and never really letting off the gas of competition. And sometimes – I, I've had, I can remember certain times in my career where I'd get a little smile on my face. Maybe somebody ran by the mound and said something to me and it let me off my game. And I walked the next guy, I give up a double and a gap with two outs. And now I've let a run score and I got a reliever coming in and I just screwed him out of his situation. So um, yeah. I feel like holding that conviction line, I mean, that word is absolutely a pitcher and a hitter's best friend. Oh, yeah. No, I look here. Here's the biggest thing for me when it comes to uh, hitting against pitchers that frustrated me. I would try everything, and and if running by a, a pitcher's mound and and blurting something out, and you could just see them whip back, like I did my job, like because maybe it, it throws them off. And that's part of the. That's the beauty of it. Like it, Aaron was saying, like there is no unwritten rules when it comes to stuff like that. You guys have to. You guys have to challenge us. You know, you oh, have to yeah. continue to 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 do things because. For, for guys like yourself, you were looking back at that bullpen, like at Citizens Bank Park, you know, at that being like, I got you. This is your day. This is your day to break because I got you on this. And I, I think that's huge. Hey, uh, two more things for, for you, Noel. Like when, when you look at Brian Price, a new pitching coach, you know, another, uh, another pitching coach in, in your career, uh, what has he brought to the table in the short time that you had with him at spring training? He simplifies things, man, and I've, I've been stoked to get the season going and, and throw bullpen sessions with him. For me, I love throwing bullpens. 
Like I love going out there in sunny days uh, when it's hot out there, throwing bullpens, trying to work on things I need to work on and try to paint in the bullpens. And then because bullpens are work sessions, like you're trying to work on the things you need to work on. And I read this in Pedro's book um, a few years back that if he threw in a game and he says curveball wasn't that sharp, the next bullpen he'd go work on his curveball, try to get to where he needs to be for the next outing. So that's what I try to do. I try to work on things I need to work on. And um, rather than throwing 40, 45-pitch bullpens, I would throw 20 to 25 because my focus level would rise. Because if you're throwing 20, 25 pitches, you don't have – I don't. I'm not. I don't want to get any pitches back in yeah. the bullpen yeah, because yeah, yeah. you're not going to get any pitches back in the game because because you really can get in a slump in bullpens to to where you're saying, oh, I missed that outside corner. I was supposed to throw four outside pitches for strikes. I missed out, and I'm gonna throw a fifth one. Oh, I missed out, and I'm gonna throw a sixth one. Next thing you know, you're at like 30 pitches already, that's and you're kind of an out of out that's of a, out of a routine. So that's where when Durbin said. Uh, making every throw count just when you're throwing in the outfield comes into play. Like, all that stuff matters. Like, when you're when you're a hitter, I mean, I don't do it because I'm not a hitter, but when you're hitting in the cage, like, I know guys on team, like Harper, those guys are locked in, hitting in the cage, trying to perfect their their craft. And, yeah, we play, we play and to try to, you know, to get our contracts and stuff, but why wouldn't you want to be the best at what you're doing you don't want to get embarrassed on the field you want to you want to win you want to succeed there's nothing in losing and failing like we fail to learn mm-hmm. to learn um going forward to learn from those mistakes and to win uh, because winning's fun you want to win for your guys you want to you want to play with your your teammates and you know make them happy and win with those guys I mean, hopefully one day I'll be fortunate enough to win a World Series like Derv did, but I know it's – I mean, I won one in high school, but <laughs> I mean, that, ain't, that ain't nothing that trumps a World Series in Major League Baseball, and he'll probably tell you that too. I won the Palomino yeah, World I've... Series. What's up, guys? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say, uh, you know, one of my managers, uh, Jim Leland, um, he said really – you know, I, it was an interview, and he was saying nothing but his – <clears throat> nothing but his sliding shorts. That's it. Shirt off, all that stuff. Reporters all around him. And he said, you know, we're talking about the chemistry on the team. And we were winning. And he said, you show me a team that's winning and I'll show you chemistry. You know, you know, if we start losing, everybody's going to talk about the dissension on the team and all that stuff. But that right there, like he's talking about, all that work, you know, being the guy that goes out there and, and starts a winning streak or stops a losing streak, like that builds chemistry on a team too. Uh, yeah. So yeah, winning a world series is, is um, it's the result of a ton of, of people being in the right frame of mind every day and going about their job, you know, position players buying into role play, you know, making sure that Eric Brutlett knew, knew what he was, he was ready to play for Jimmy Rollins when he was, uh, you know, when he got hurt, but he also knew when Jimmy came back, he was going to go right back to, you know, maybe playing once a week and, and getting five at bats a week. Yeah. Um, and, and bought into that. You need guys that buy into those roles. You need leaders on the team that aren't going to take a throw off. And they pass that along to a, a young arm coming up that has to take that same approach. 
Um, and I wonder about, so you see some of the Pavetta's stuff and some of these guys with the stuff and, and how it's a struggle to succeed at the big leagues. And if you don't take a throw off, you get that advantage in the six inches between your ears because uh-huh. the, the reps are up. You know, I used to roll curveballs into the bucket during BP. And that day it was all, I'm not going to throw a ball into the bucket that isn't spinning the other way because I need to work on that feel. And I didn't have the luxury as a, as a reliever to go throw bullpens yeah. the way a starter does. So that's how I would work on it. Let me get that feel on that curveball back because I've thrown nothing but cutter sinker the last five yeah. hours. You know, let me get that feel back. But, and I tried to pass that along to guys that are listening. And what you get is, and you know, you'll get that group of guys that you get around that are all pushing in the same direction. And the guys that don't, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to jump in with you. Nope. Um, but I want to get better. And, uh, and I feel like that's something that um, it happens on winning teams. I mean, it happens on losing teams too, but it really happens on winning, yep. team, winning teams that you, you get that group think going, it's all in the same direction. Hey, yeah. fellas, I, agree. I, I know both you guys got to go, and I appreciate it, but I, wanted to, uh, I don't even want to give it a shout-out because this is not deserving of a shout-out. This needs to be talked about real quick, but uh, – for you, Noah, Yingling and yourself have uh, launched the Cheers PA to raise funds for Pennsylvania bar and restaurant workers impacted by COVID-19, which is awesome. Like, and everything that you guys are going to do. So the DG Yingling and Sun Inc., uh, America's Oldest Brewing Company, and yourself uh, are going to be doing something. What is it? Virtual celebrity fundraiser to, to benefit the hospitality assistance response of Pennsylvania, the HARP. Uh, you yeah. got, you got prizes, experiences, but can you, can you do it, you know, shortly in, in a little bit right now for, for the fans that are listening? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, you touched on, on it. Uh, you know, the proceeds go to the harp, uh, it's a 30 day virtual fundraiser. We got 28 days left trying to help these bar and restaurant workers. Um, cause you know, they got affected bad about affected bad with this. Uh, with this virus i mean they lost a lot of them lost their jobs and we want to get those guys back on their feet and uh, i think it's it's a good thing you can win you can win prizes you know autographs uh pitching clinic with me you can you can win that too friends if you want oh I w- i'm uh, donating to that by the way i would i wouldn't even throw i'd just i'd catch you just let me catch you <laughs> better than no but it's it, it's a it's a good thing you know i've teamed up with yingling I mean, I'm an ambassador for them, and I got to know those guys awesome. real well. Yep. And they're they're special people, man. They're they're good people. So I think think it's going to be a good little deal, and hope to get a lot of people involved in it uh, over these next 28 days. Yep, and you could go to Yingling.com/slash/COVID19relief uh, to help out. You could go to prla.org/slash/harp to donate as well. Uh, or yingling.com slash cheers PA. Sorry, I apologize. Yingling.com slash cheers PA to do this. And I mean, Knowles, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you doing this more than anything because I mean, it, it it's something I know you're, you could be a brand ambassador, but I know you believe in it and, and helping out. And uh, it, it goes, damn, it goes a long way. I appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on today. Friend. Well, I appreciate, appreciate you. It, I appreciate you wearing the Ben Simmons hat that he gave you. You're bad. You know, <laughs> throw it out there. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I, Aaron, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of everything you're doing. Um, especially this type of stuff. Uh, yeah, I know I'm hoping baseball's up and running here soon. We get to see you out in a, out on a mound in a Phillies Jersey. Um, yeah. you know, keep grinding, keep working. 
Um, excited to see everything start going. Appreciate it, man. All right, Good talking with y'all guys. Both you talk guys. to y'all soon. Amazing. Yeah, that's right. They are both amazing for coming on. Uh, Chad Durbin's been on here a few times. I really enjoyed having him on, not only as a friend, but as a man, the guy knows the game pitching. But I mean, to have Aaron Noah come on, take his time from his day, we really appreciate that. And this episode of Pine Tar for Breakfast was sponsored by Campo's Deli, best cheese steaks in Philly. Oh, yeah. That's right. You can get them at Ashburn Alley when the games and season starts and you're able to get there. Or you can just visit them right here in Philadelphia. Well, that's it for this session. I'm going to call it a session. Pine Tar for Breakfast podcast. I am your host, Kevin Franz. Until next time, peace. Kevin Franz is out of here. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.